And we're going to um, find our text in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. We're going to deal with a passage that goes all the way down to about uh, verse 28. That's where we're going to stop our, our focus. But we're dropping into the middle of a story in which, if you know this story, you know it probably as one of the, the times that Jesus brought a person back to life. It's the resurrection of Lazarus. Um, but when Jesus shows up on the scene, of course, Lazarus has been, for a little, been dead for a little bit. But uh, we're just dropping into this story because I want to emphasize a little bit of something here that I think Jesus is emphasizing to uh, Martha, one of the, the siblings of Lazarus, and uh, I think it'll be a help to us. So before I begin, in, begin into that, I just want to pray and ask the Lord to, uh, to, to use us this morning. Would you pray with me, Father? I um, need your help to preach in a way that's helpful. I always want to be helpful. But, Lord, I also need to preach in a way that's true and accurate. Help me to do that. It's probably more than your help of me, as much as I want to be helped. Lord, this is your people. These are your people. This is your word. Would you take what is said and find a place in these hearts? I know that there are needs that are here. I know that. Some, some of them people have talked to me and others about them, but some of them nobody knows about them. You do, though. I pray that you will help them to find their hope and their help from what is shared with us in this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember as a little kid, I would have a thing that I would do, and I would get in trouble for it. Um, but I would sit at the dinner table and see something on the table and say, What's that? What's that? Just have that. And that kind of disgust and that kind of disdain and that kind of disrespect <laughs> really is what that is. Um, it was always something, you know, maybe it was a dish that my mom had prepared that I didn't recognize. Uh, maybe it was something that I didn't like, so I was making sure everybody knew I didn't like it, whatever the reasons were. But that's despite the fact that the food that had been placed on the table was exactly what I needed. As a little boy, I needed the strength to go do what little boys do, run around, do all that stuff. So that's what that food provided me. It, it provided me good taste. My mama knew how to cook some food. I knew how to, I knew, I knew when I put it in my mouth, I mean, there might be a few things I didn't like, but for the most part, nine times out of ten, it's going to be something good. And not like I had a whole lot of choices. The neighbors weren't inviting me over for dinner. I was eating at Mama's house. That was where I'm going to eat. So it was available to me right then and there. I might have wanted a big old filet mignon or something else, but that was sitting on my table. That was available to me right there. The children of Israel in the Old Testament had a similar reaction. They said, what's that as well? Even though what, what they were looking at was something that God provided as a they had, if you go back to Exodus chapter 16, um, God had, or rather the Israelites were there and they were saying, God, please feed us, we're hungry. And in direct response to that, God provides them bread, food that they can look at. They literally could stick their arm out the tent door, put it into the tent, and have enough to eat for the, the next day. They just have to do that every day. It was arguably, and I think because it was from the God's hand, it was absolutely the perfect food. But when they look at it, Exodus chapter 15, I think it's 14, verse 14 or 15 there, when they look at it, they literally call it manna, 
which the Bible tells us means, what is it? I don't know what it is. What is that? That's what the Bible tells us manna means, because they didn't know what it meant. They called it manna. And I think it's also that reaction of, what in the world is this? Is this, this is not what I'm really looking for. That's not what I had in mind. That's the same kind of reaction I think Martha has in this passage. Just to make sure we know who we're talking about. Martha is Martha and Mary, their sisters, and they have a brother named Lazarus. It appears they all live in this house together, um, or at least in a small compound together. They're the same family that Jesus went and saw. I preached about this several months ago now. Uh, where Jesus went and Martha is digging all around the house and Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Same folks, same people. So just know that's who we're talking about here. So Martha, who is a woman who, as best as I can tell from the Scripture, I think she's a woman of faith. I believe she believes in God. You'll see it in this passage. I believe she is really a, strong, a woman of strong faith. But where we find her is in verse 17. Go to verse 17, chapter 11, verse 17. When Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave, talking about Lazarus, four days already. She's had a death in her family. Her brother, who apparently they were very close as a family, uh, they, her brother has died. Further, I didn't read it, but if you were to go up to the first part of chapter 11, her brother had died after she sent word to Jesus, hey Jesus, Lazarus is sick, won't you come by the house and help him? We know you heal people, you can do this. And Jesus in his time, in his purpose, for his, for his plans, because he knew what he was doing, he says, I'm just going to wait. He tells his disciples that there's a reason for this. I've got something I'm doing here. Y'all just hang out a little bit. But then when he shows up, Lazarus has been dead four days. And furthermore, she's glad Jesus comes. Go, go to verse 18. He says there, but Bethany was nigh to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, pretty close to the big city. Verse 19, many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary. Now, the Jews here is not just their ethnicity. It's, it's intended to, to talk about the fact that this is really the Jewish leader. So, if you want to put it into 2021 Rockingham County parlance, the preachers have showed up. That's kind of what's happening here. All the preachers and the, 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 the religious guys have showed up trying to provide comfort, as they do, trying to provide comfort to the family. That's what they're doing there. And then in the next, uh, the next phrase there, it says um, uh, the, the Jews have come uh, to comfort them concerning their brothers. In verse 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Mary is still in the house. The point there was she saw that Jesus was there. There's all these other people there trying to comfort them. Jesus is there, and she goes out to meet him. I don't know if she went and met all of these other rabbis and Jewish leaders and all these other I don't know if she did that or not, but the Bible says she went and met Jesus. She, this is important. He's important to her. So she, she went to that means She's glad he's there. But look what she says in verse 21. Then said Martha unto, me, uh, Martha unto Jesus, excuse me, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Sure wish you to come earlier, Jesus. Too late now. Glad you're here. We love you. We're glad you're here, but you missed it. You missed it. Why wouldn't you hear earlier? She goes on to say in verse 22, and I want you to see this because her faith is pretty strong. Look what she says. But I know that even now, she knows her brother's dead, but she says, even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. She's got faith. She says, I know whatever you want is going on, wants to happen, is going to happen because I believe in you in that way. But don't miss that Martha is grieving. Her brother, someone she loved dearly, has gone. 
Now, if y'all know this story, you know the end of the story. I, I want y'all to know the end of the story, just in case. There might be somebody here that doesn't know it. I want y'all to know it. Go to verse 43. Go all the way down to verse 43. Jesus comes to the, the tomb where Lazarus is laying. They have wrapped him. They, they prepared him for, 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 the, for burial. Verse 43, he comes up there, and when he had thus spoken, after he talked to some people, he cried with a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He's talking to a grave now. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And when he that was, and he that was dead came forth, bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, his face was held in napkin, Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Here's Jesus. He's coming to raise her brother, the one that she was grieving over. She's coming to, he's coming to raise him from the dead. We know that. We know that. Y'all might have known that before I told you that. You knew that's what's going to happen. Martha doesn't know that. Martha is looking at Jesus, her friend, in the face and saying, sure wish you'd have been here before now. I know you can do anything. I've seen you do some amazing things. But I just don't understand what's going on here. She's in the middle of her circumstance, but she can't quite see the power that he's bringing to this situation. And I think, as I go into this, I think some of that, some of, some of you are in that same spot. It's Thanksgiving week, so you know you're supposed to be thankful. Now, if, if you're if you're thankful, then you just tune me out for just a second and come back in a minute. But I just want to tell y'all, I understand what you mean. Sometimes you just know you're supposed to be thankful. And you, if you really push hard, you can do the assignment. You can write down some things you're thankful for. But man, it ain't in your heart. Because you're hurting right now. There's more tears in your eyes than gratitude in your heart. And I think that's exactly where Martha was. You might say, well, you know what? Give me a year. Give me a week. Give me a month. Give me ten years. And I might be in a better place. And you know that might be the case. You might be able to look back at this moment and say, Man, that was not even that big of a deal. Or you might say, man, that was awful, but we're glad we're through it. Whatever it is, you might be able to look back on it at some point in the future. I can guarantee you Martha could. Remember that time when I met you out there, Jesus, and I wondered where you'd been, and then you healed him, and you brought him back out of the grave, and you? That's a great story. You love to tell that story. If you're in the middle of it right now, it might make a story later, but right now you don't know what's going on. And I just want to assure you in this passage for just the next few minutes that Jesus is working to provide exactly what you need. You don't know it. You can't feel it. You don't see it. You don't even know you're supposed to be thankful for it. But He's working on it exactly what you need. He's going to do that. In this passage, we know that He's going to provide exactly what we need so I want to encourage you this morning, first of all, to depend on Jesus' power. What is Jesus doing? Look at what he says in verse 23. Jesus says to Martha, he says, Thy brother shall rise again. He's telling her what he's going to do. He's got come to bring your, your, your brother out of the grave. I, I know he's dead. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to get him out of the grave. But he not only says, I'm going to, I've come to do that, Martha responds and says, I know, that he is verse 24, I know he shall rise again in the resurrection of that last day. And, and she says, you know what, I, I know, I know what you're saying. I, I know there's going to come a time when all the dead in Christ will rise. I know that all, there's going to come a time where I'm going to see my brother in heaven. I know that's going to be the case. I, I believe you, Jesus. I'm with you on that. I know that. But, but Jesus, he, he doubles down and he says, in verse 25, he says unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He is saying, yes, there will come, and we can all be grateful. There will come a day when we will, if we have loved ones who died or if we die before Jesus comes, that there will come a day where we will all be coming out of the grave. We will all be reunited in heaven. We have that to look forward to. But Jesus is saying, yeah, that's true, but I have got power you don't even understand. I can do some stuff that you don't even understand. I'm bringing life to someone that you're currently grieving over. I'm giving hope to those who had no hope before I walked in the door. I'm giving help to those who thought that there was no help to be had. I'm coming exactly with exactly what is needed in this situation. I can't think of a more perfect thing. Can you think of a more perfect thing? You're, you're, you're laying to rest a loved one. And you're, and, you're, and you're, you don't even know how to deal with the emotions, but you're laying that loved one to rest. Yet Jesus comes in and not just brings him back to life, but brings him back to full health. As far as I can tell, as best as I understand from the Scriptures, Lazarus lived for many years after this. There's no health problems to speak of. There's nothing to speak of. Yes, he does die a natural death because it is appointed unto man once to die. We understand that. But nonetheless, Jesus didn't just come in and just kind of wake him up for a few minutes. He brought him back to life. And that's what Jesus does is he comes in and he doesn't just help the situation. He gives us precisely what we need. I need you to understand that he's not only able to do that, that's what he does. Some of us in this church have endured, some of you have endured the death of loved ones. And I want you to know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the one that will reunite you with your loved ones. Some of us are upset about how our government is run, whether it's today or in past administration. I want you to know that Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Some of you are sitting here and saying, man, we need a pastor in this church. We need somebody to stay here. And I want you to know that Jesus is the chief shepherd. Some of you are saying, I need somebody to love me. You would never tell anybody that. You, you, you're two macho men and you're two private women, but in your heart of hearts, you know you need some love. You need somebody to love you, to show their love to you. And I want you to know that Jesus is love. He is the very definition of love. Who He is is love. More to the point, what He has done in His, in his coming to this earth, showing us, expressing to us, literally making us understand this is love. This is what the writer of 1 John says. In 1 John he says, herein is love. This is what love looks like. It looks like what Jesus did. He came to this earth and He died for you. Some of y'all are walking around with sin and shame and guilt and you can't even sleep at night because it's bothering you so bad. I want you to know that Jesus is, the Bible says, our propitiation. I know we don't use that word all the time, but it's a cool word because what it means is that He is the one that satisfies every demand for every sin that ever has happened. I can tell you, if I had the time, we could go through the Scriptures together, and I can tell you that no matter what your need is, Jesus precisely delivers on that need. He answers every need. He has the power that we need. He is the one we must, we can, we must, and we should depend on for everything. We have God's power available to us. 
divine power available. It's the only thing we ought to be depending on. Half measures are not going to depend, not going to help us. Anything less than God Himself is going to fail us. It's going to, it's going to leave us wanting. And we need hope, or we need comfort, and we all need it from time to time, and probably more often than we admit it. We need hope, we need comfort, we need help. Please, 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 folks, stop turning to everything under the sun. Some of us turn to food. Can I just stand here and confess to you that when I get a little down and depressed, ice cream becomes my best friend. And I know it sounds silly, and that's why I'm able to say it out loud, but let me just be honest with you. It helps until it doesn't help. It don't help. In fact, i got to work harder to get off whatever I just put in me because it's fat and sugar and all that other stuff. Let's stop turning to food. Let's stop turning to drugs or alcohol. Let's stop turning to pornography or sexual deviance. Let's stop turning to even our friends for our ultimate hope. Can they be helpful? Absolutely. God gives us friends. But let's not turn to them as our ultimate hope because let me tell you, there is only one there's only one has the power to soothe what ails you. Second Corinthians chapter one says that he is the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulations. The problems that you have may seem insurmountable. But I'll go ahead and admit to you, I bet the problems you have are insurmountable. How's that for congratulating you and getting you out of your, out of your depression? Nobody can solve your problems. But let's be honest with you. Some of your, some of your problems, we can sit there. I'd like to be able to tell you, oh, it's going to be okay. It'll be over. It'll be better. I'd like to be able to tell you that sometimes it doesn't get better. Sometimes it gets worse. And then worse again. But I want you to know that when you're in those situations, what you need is not somebody to console you. You don't need somebody to pat you on the head and say, it's going to be okay. You need divine power who does can and always has intervened in impossible situations, making ways where there's no way, opening doors where there wasn't even a door before. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's who we have, the one that does these kind of things. He is exactly what your circumstances require, so we must, absolutely must, depend on Him and Him alone. Now, Jesus is powerful. And he's walking to essentially a funeral here in this passage. But he's not bringing his power to the funeral, much like you might if somebody invited you to a birthday party and just saying, here's the gift, here it is. He's not doing that. He's not doing that because the real gift is actually Jesus himself. Go back to verse 25. He says to her, this is what he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, not just what I have is the ability to give life, the ability to raise. He does have that. Don't get that. Don't miss that. He can do that. He is able to do whatever he wants to do. But he goes further and says, I am the resurrection. His power cannot be divorced from his person. These two things are intertwined. If you want his power, you've got to have him. You've got to have him. Here's the problem. Too many of us Church people, and definitely people in the world, too many of us do not want Him. We want what He can do for us. They're like Israel in Exodus 16. What's that? Jesus? Come on. More money. That's got to be the answer. 
Better job, that's got to be the answer. A, a different spouse or, or friends, that's got to be the answer. We've got to have more, more, more something's got to be the answer. Not Jesus, that can't be the answer. And, and the same thing happened when Jesus actually came. Uh, Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 53 that when we would see him, he said there was no form or comeliness. There would be no attractiveness when we saw him. There was no beauty that we would desire him. And that's actually what happened. When they saw Jesus, you know what they did? Even though he's the perfect man, did the perfect thing. You know what Jesus did? He did what our healthcare system wishes it to do. It actually helped some people. It actually healed some sickness. It took away long-standing diseases. It fixed them. That's what Jesus did. He walked into every town he walked into, and there were crazy people that were sane again. There were sick people who were well again. There were dead people who were alive. That's what Jesus did. You know what they did to him? They figured out, by crook and, and every measure they could figure out, they come at him every which way and took him down. Run him through a mock trial, just the sham of a trial. And nailed him to a cross. That's what they did because they saw him and they said, We like what he's doing, but we don't really care for him. We don't really want him. And it's continuing to happen today. Romans chapter 1, Paul says that we're worshiping and we're serving the creature, the things that God has produced, more than we are the creator. But it's Jesus, and Jesus alone is the only one who satisfies. Look what he says in verse, in verse 26. He says, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. <laughs> if y'all put your faith in Jesus, you've got eternal life ahead of you. You might likely die in this world because we will die. This body is going to fail us. But Jesus says, I'm going to bring you back to life. You're going to have eternity with me. You'll just believe in him. He's the only one. And even Martha agrees. She says in verse 27, she says, Yea, Lord, I, I, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And this is a very powerful phrase, a statement that she's making here. I believe you're the Christ. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the Anointed One. I believe that you are the one that the whole world is craving. That's what she's saying. I mean, the fact that she says it is interesting on its own, but I want to emphasize the fact that Jesus is not just a good man. He's not just a, a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a religious leader. He is the Christ. He is the one that this world is aching for. There is no political system in this world that will solve our ails, but when Jesus is king, he will solve everything. There is no politician you can vote for that will ever, ever set us on the right path. He might help us this way or he might help us that way, but they will not solve our problems. But King Jesus is the one. There is no physical feeling. There is no wonderful emotion that you could feel that could fix it all. This is why, there's, that's why drug addicts face, uh, chase what they chase. Because they're going for a feeling. They, something made them feel better. It's scratched and itch in their soul. So they want to go back and they want to go back and they want to go back and they want to go back. That's why they go. But I want to tell you that you could never, ever, ever equal what Jesus is offering to this world. 
There's no religious system and no educational system that will ever solve for what we need. I think we think if people, we just get more people into church, if we could just get bigger buildings, if we could get more people that are uh, uh, members of churches, I'm going to tell you that you could be a member of every church in the country. And as my daddy says, says, split hell wide open. That is not what this world needs. This world needs one thing. One thing only. His name is Jesus. In fact, in Revelation chapter 16, it tells us, predicting the end of time, there's going to come a time when everybody, physical body on the planet, is going to fail. They're covered up in sores and says, their bodies are just, they can't even, they can't even live. The government fails them, turns against people. Nature itself is going to fail. We wake up every morning looking for a sun. We go to bed every night expecting the moon to be in the sky. And that's the way this world works. But it tells me in Revelation 16, there's going to come a time when that's not even going to be defended anymore. What I'm trying to get you to see is that you need one person, not the might and the miracles. Yes, he brings those things and thanks for what he does. But we need the man. We need Jesus. We don't need to find our false hope in these temporal things. Yes, I think things got a little bit incrementally better. No, 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 no. I can tell you there is a plenty, there is a line of people that will lie to you. If you will follow them, they will follow you will follow them, they will tell you anything you want to hear and make you feel better until they don't. And when they don't, it all goes apart. But what you need is the God man, the gentle man from Galilee. He's the one you've got to have. You've got to have that person. But if you don't have that person, if you don't have him, you can have all the most mighty miracles in the world and they'll do you no good. You have to have the person. You have to have him. The good news in this story is I think Martha understands that Jesus is powerful. Verse 22, you can go back and look at that. In verse 22, she's saying, yes, I believe you can, I believe you could, um, you can do anything you want to, God. See, looking forward to heaven, verse 24. I know one day I'll get to see him in heaven. She even accepts, as we just read there in verse 27, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that was going to come into the world. But look at what she does in verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, The Master is come and call us to do. There's something good about what she does there, yes. I think Mary wants to see Jesus too. We know that Mary loves Jesus. But the sad thing to me as I'm reading that is here she's talking to the man who's going to help her, the only one who can actually solve what she really needs. She's looking at him in the eye and she says, somebody else needs you. The good is I think she sees Jesus' power. The bad thing is I don't think she sees his proximity to her problem. Jesus even asked her in verse 26, he says, do you believe? Do you really believe, Martha? Do you really believe? And I think he's asking her that because he's saying, I believe, but I believe that it's in the last day, as he says in verse 24. It's in the last day. It's, it's gonna, in the future it's going to happen. Or in verse 27, I, I believe he's coming to the world in this sort of spiritual sense. Or maybe it's Mary that needs the help, not Martha. Verse 28. But I want you to see in verse 25. Go back to that with me, would you? 
Jesus says unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus says, I am the one that you're looking for. I am giving you precisely what you need. You've got it right here. I am here. I am standing here. I'm talking to you, Martha. I'm right here for you. And I'm right here right now in this time. Yes, I know you would have liked it if I was here four days ago. I know that you believe in the final days. It's going to be good. But, but I want you to know, Martha, I'm right here right now. And I want y'all to know, for a Church, y'all need to know, Jesus, the same Jesus that's talking to Martha, He is right here right now. Matthew chapter 1 tells us that His name is Emmanuel. God with us. He's with us. And Jesus says His own words in Matthew chapter 28, He says, and I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. He says He's with us. And He's much more. First Peter 5, 7. Peter writes that He is one that you can cast your cares on. All of your cares because He cares for you. He's effectively concerned with you and your everyday needs. You say, well, my little thing, I don't think Jesus really cares about it. I'll have to deal with it. No! He cares about your little thing. Whatever that is, He cares about that. Well, nobody else cares. I know! That's why you need Jesus! He cares when nobody else does. Jesus is present. He's exactly what you're looking for. I promise you, He's going to give you exactly what you're seeking. You need to seek His present in your life. He is present, yes, for tomorrow's resurrection. He is present for friends and family that need it. He is present for all of those things. But I want y'all to hear me say and hear this loud and clear. Jesus is there for your needs today. That sin, that shame that you're dealing with, that sin that you just can't seem to shake, that just continues to plague you, and the shame that you carry because of that, Jesus cares about that. You need to go to Him with that. That depression that you're dealing with, that is a very real depression, and it hurts you, and it's physically starting to affect you, not just mentally and emotionally, but it's starting to make it so you're having a hard time even getting through days because of that. Jesus cares about that depression. Jesus cares when you feel so hurt, you don't know that anybody cares about you, you feel so lonely, and you feel so sad. Jesus cares about that, and He's present for that today, right now. Those relationships that have gotten way off track and you don't know how to get them back on track. Jesus can get those things. That's what He cares about. He's involved in that. He is a reconciling God. He does those kinds of things. That boss that's out of control. Those health problems that don't seem to have answers. Those emotional needs that seem to weigh you down. Those financial needs that you have no idea how you're going to make ends meet. Jesus not only cares about it, He doesn't sit off in heaven and say, well, I wish it worked out for you. No, He cares for you. And he is actively involved in those situations and He is working on your behalf. I think sometimes with religious people, the reason I'm emphasizing this the way I am, and I hope you're catching this, you'll say to me what Martha said to Jesus. Thank you, I get what you're saying. I just have to slog it through now, and one day in the future, I'll get to meet Jesus. No. Yes, you will, but don't wait till then to love Him. He's with you now. There's some of you that will say, well, this is great, I'm glad you're doing this, but, you know, I'll, 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 I'll sit here and I'll listen to it and it'll help 
sort of feed my soul emotionally and spiritually, but when I'm in the middle of that, you know, that doctor's office visit or that, that meeting with a boss or that, 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 that argument with my spouse or whatever that thing is that you're dealing with, that, you can't help me there. No, no, you're missing it, Christian. That's where Jesus shows up in a very real way. We come here just to remind ourselves of all that. You go out there to live that out. And I want you to understand that if you, yes, you loves everybody and everybody needs Jesus, but you need Jesus. You need Jesus too. You need Him right now for every need that you have. Right now. Seek Him out. So what do you need? I, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I had the, 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 the thing that's like, here's your, here's your prescription. You just take that home and it'll make you feel better. I, I don't know exactly what your needs are. But I can tell you there is only one exact solution for everything that ails you. His name is Jesus. And you need Him right here, right now. Only He has the power to fix you. Only He has what your soul craves. Some of you, and I'm going to invite you to respond as the Lord moves you. Some of you have some very deep and personal needs. Stuff that you don't want to talk about. And that's fine. I'm not asking you to talk to me about it. I am telling you to take it to the Lord. I am telling you to bring it to Him. Some of you need to respond, and maybe you need to come forward in that traditional way as we come forward at the front of this church, and you may want to kneel along the front of this church and just pray, God, I, I've got this thing, and you'll talk to him about it and say, I hear what he's saying, but I don't know how you're going to do it. You're going to have to fix this. God's going to do things that I can't even imagine. You need to talk to him. Some of you will never come up front, maybe because your physical body won't allow you to do that, or maybe you're embarrassed to do that, and I'm not going to shame you in any of those ways. I'm just going to tell you, you need to respond to the Lord. You stand where you are, seated where you are, and you just lift up your voice, your, your hands, your eyes, your mind to the Lord and say, I've got this thing, Lord, you're going to have to help me. Would you help me? And I want to encourage you, every person here, I didn't preach this sermon so you get a better sense of some story about Lazarus. I, I hope you, you understand the story a little bit better, but I preach it so you would understand that if you have a Savior who loves you and loves you right now, would you seek Him and depend on Him? Let's all stand. Uh, Vanessa's going to come and play. We're just going to take a moment to reflect and respond. I, I tried to make it so that you have as much latitude on how you respond as needed. But the only thing I'm asking you is please do. Please come. Father, please move in your people. These are your people. You love them. You care for them. I pray that your spirit speaking to their hearts, their souls now, reminding them that you, God, do want to help them. You are available. You are right there for their needs right now. Please help them to come to you in faith, reaching out to you for the life that they need, the hope that they need, the help that they need. I pray that you'll encourage them to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As she plays, won't y'all come, won't you respond?